For more than a month, tens of thousands of Idahoans have treated their busy office places for this. A kitchen table, a counter, maybe a home office. But in the coming weeks and months, some of those workers will return here to traditional offices. But how that looks and how that works will be a big part of the conversation. Boise Dev and Business Interiors of Idaho put our heads together, virtually of course, for this town hall event, Next in Business, the future of work in Idaho. You are watching Next in Business, a Boise Dev town hall event, presented by Business Interiors of Idaho, featuring Allison Johnson with Holland and Hart, Dr. Tommy Alquist with BVA Development, Kelly Parzeale with ServePro of Boise, and Jill Sulgrove with Business Interiors of Idaho. Now your moderator, Don Day. Hey everybody and welcome to our Boise Dev Town Hall event, virtually spread out all over the Treasure Valley. Uh, it should be a good uh, hour, so I want to introduce the panel here. I have to unmute them all, so give me just a second. Uh, we're going to talk to each of them and we can see them and it's looking good. It's always good when the technology works, right? A little harder than when we do an in-person event and I have to think about technology. Um, but before we get into all that, I want to talk about really quickly what these three stages or four stages look like and what their impact are is going to be for offices. So in stages one, two, and three, it's pretty much all the same. There's going to be a list of criteria that's based on the number of cases, deaths, hospital utilization, and other metrics from the state. And the criteria has to be met to move through each stage. For offices, the first stage, first phase, is targeted for this Friday. Uh, and it sounds like guidance from the governor's office is that we're going to move into that. They're still encouraging telework for people. They want re uh, employees to return to work in phases. And the biggest thing is to maintain that social distancing, personal protection, and of course, sanitation. These three phases are going to go in about two-week uh, increments. Of course, we could go slower. We could also move backwards in the stages, depending on uh, the conditions on the ground across the state. And then the fourth, fourth phase for offices, they right now have targeted for June 13th. And that's when you can start to resume some of that unrestricted staffing at workplaces. But it's important that the continuation of that social distancing, personal protection, and sanitation keeps going in that phase. And what I think is interesting is, you know, there is no fifth stage. So they don't have what happens next. And I think that that's going to take some time to kind of figure out. So uh, like I mentioned, we have a really great panel and I want to introduce each of them to you uh, as we go through here. Allison Johnson, she is a partner at Holland and & Hart, and she's uh, got a great background in some of the legal aspects. Kelly Parzaelli is the sales and marketing manager at ServPro Boise. Allison, I'm sorry, uh, Jill Sogrove is uh, the design manager here at Business Interiors of Idaho. And Dr. Tommy Alquist is a former ER doc and the CEO of BBA. Allison, I want to start with you, and I want to talk about... Um, what some of the non-physical changes that businesses should be making, things like insurance and employee handbooks. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. 
Uh, first off, thanks for, for having me, Don. I think this will be a continuing conversation um, as we navigate totally new territory. Um, as businesses look to going back to work, a lot of the questions that we're getting how folks can be proactive, um, protecting their business for this uh, crisis and on, on an ongoing basis. Um, one of the questions is upping my insurance. If I would have had insurance in place, would it have covered me for some of the losses that I've incurred as a business? The answer is really that no, no uh, business um, continuation insurance or coverage would really cover these types of losses. Um, Coverages are meant to cover physical damage in the event of a fire or an accident or somebody drives a through your building. Then that's when those types of insurance would kick in. So it really wouldn't help in this circumstance. Um, people are also asking us, do I get insurance to cover, you know, claims that customers might have or might have against me if we return to work and then um, they end up the virus and and they try to link it back to my business will insurance protect me there and the answer there is maybe uh things in general liability insurance coverage um to cover you in this kind of um customer claims you might be able to have protection there against negligent lawsuits and that sort of thing so it's worth examining where you stand there um the other type of insurance to look into is cybersecurity insurance as the workforce transitioned back home, um, there were um, a number of cyber breaches and the, the um, traffic, uh, those breaches has gone, um, gone up. And so if, if uh, employers went through the work of protecting their network while at the workplace, um, you also have to develop protocol on how to protect your, um, your network with various firewalls and policies around um, technology while employees are at home. So um, another way to protect yourself is to obtain cybersecurity insurance because we're noticing um, in the breaches in that in that area. Um, the other thing that, that should um, be critical as people are returning to the office is updating your um, employee policies. So there are a number of federal mandates that have come down and we can find those in more detail um, relating to sick leave, um, family emergency leave, um, and those related things. And, and we'll get into the specifics of those, I believe, a bit later, but um, your policies are updated to comply with federal um, law and state law. Um, so, revisiting all of those policies is going to be really important uh, on a going forward basis. So that's really interesting. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do, obviously, with our physical spaces, but some of those other elements are going to be a big thing for employers too. And and I want to ask Alice, uh, I want to ask Jill rather about what um, what owners and managers should be thinking about right now uh, when it comes to the way those offices are configured, where's the first place that they should start? Well, that's a good question. I mean, I think every market is going to be different. Every industry is going to be different and roles within those industries are different. So I think owners of companies, managers need to be thinking first about um, their cleaning and safety protocols for when their employees may return to the office. 
if they're successfully and productively working from home, extending that time for those that it's working for. Um, and they're probably going to move straight into rotation, right? Some people come into the office, some people stay home, looking at staggering those schedules. Um, but where we come in too is helping look at the layout of your office, how close uh, proximity and adjacencies are where end users are sitting next to each other and what kind of furniture um, and tools are accessible for them to create some boundaries, additional space between people, um, and then helping develop protocol and new procedures to follow, uh, such as wiping down a meeting table after you use it, even if you were the only one there, making sure you clean up after yourself when you leave. So we'll, we'll talk about some real world scenarios here. You guys are going through a model and we'll talk about that, but I wanna bring Dr. Alquist into the, into the conversation and um, his connection's a little weak, so hopefully this is gonna work well. But uh, Tommy, you know, what are some of the things that you're thinking about at BBA in terms of your office and some of the buildings that you uh, operate and manage? Yep, we're happy with uh, Tommy's audio. Yep, we're having to. Hey, oh, there we go. Hey, you know what? I knew we would have tech glitches, so I'm glad they came <laughs> I wish I could blame it on a tech glitch. It's the old mute button again. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're in Zoom call bingo, right? <laughs> so uh, thanks, Don. Thanks for having me on. So a few things that we're doing with all of our buildings and, and with suggestions are a couple things you might not think about is there are filters that filter out viruses. So doing simple filter changes is a big deal. Um, on most buildings that are modern, you can do air exchanges um, in those buildings where you can up the air exchange so that you get more fresh air that circulates in and out. And then we, we have kind of a standard uh, uh, operating policy for all our buildings with is having a hand sanitizer at each entrance to the building with signage that has you use the hand sanitizer, having different entry points into offices. So in, in most offices, creating one point of entry and exit where you have hand sanitizer again, limiting uses of people gathering in uh, the gathering spots, which is a little interesting, right? For years, we had all these collaborative areas, which were wonderful. And now you're trying to tell people to stay out of those and congregate. And that's one of the problems we've had, frankly, is people want to socialize now and they, they want to talk. But, but trying to remind them to make that, maintain that social distancing. Um, and then the most important thing we're doing is uh, I think getting back to work is important and doing it the right way is cool. But what are you going to do as a company to prepare to monitor outbreaks amongst your employees? And there's a lot of great things there. So we're, we're placing a Kinsa thermometer at every home of the people that work with us. That's a that's a smart thermometer, if you will, that, that helps them monitor uh, fevers and temperatures and gives them a timestamp when they come into work. And then immediately, as soon as they have any symptoms, and, and that's key, uh, we do now have testing. One of the things I wanna make sure everyone understands is back before they started, we did not have testing. And that's why we flew blind at this illness. We do now have plenty of capacity for testing. So if anyone feels ill, any symptoms at all, they should stay home and get tested before they come to work. Uh, that's probably the key difference because people aren't used to that. Because last time they were told we don't have testing, this time they need testing as soon as possible. So the, those are just a few of the things. So we're gonna talk about Crush the Curve, which obviously you're a big uh, part of here in a little bit, but I wanna bring uh, Allison in because you know, you uh, are really trying to work on what happens and what employers should think about if they have an employee 
who comes down with a case of COVID or a suspected COVID case. And, and what are some of those things that folks should keep in mind, Allison? Yeah, um, it, we, we all know that this is likely to happen. As we come back online at work over the coming weeks and in the coming phases, we as um, employers and managers are going to confront this situation. So it's really important that we have a plan in place, know what that plan is and remove the stigma. So the first thing is to encourage employees to report. Um, number one, if they believe that they have the symptoms and, uh, and number two, if they've been exposed to somebody closely who has the symptoms. And number three, obviously, if they've been diagnosed. Um, so we want to remove the stigma and um, have employees report as soon as possible. And then obviously the first thing to do is if they are at the workplace is and they think that they have it or they have the symptoms is to send them home uh, or mitigate your risk of exposure to other people um, and clean the area that they were in. And then you conduct a risk assessment. You start that assessment by asking when they started experiencing symptoms and who they have been in close conduct with. And you develop a plan to go and notify your workforce so that they can also assess their risks. Um, you don't want to expose yourself to additional employment liability when you do this, so you want to be careful about how you do it. Uh, any, any kind of communication with employees who might have been in contact with the infected or suspected infected employee um, should be under the guise of confidentiality, um, no names basis. And it's okay to go to your employees and say, uh, somebody's been diagnosed or we believe somebody um, may have uh, have been exposed and experienced symptoms. We have information, you're in close contact with that person, here's what to look out for um, and let them know. And they may ask, well, if the employee wants to know, the employee rumor mill can start with that. Um, it's important that EEOC says you cannot disclose uh, employees identity. So um, the right answer is to say, um, under the EEOC, we can't tell you who that employee is, but, you know, um, be, you know be aware that we're taking precautions um, within the, the guidelines and within the laws. Um, so make sure that you have a plan in place. Send your employees home. You EEOC has said you can um, temperature test employees. You require that employees get tested. Um, so to Dr. Alquist's you know, point, testing may um, be an important tool as you monitor your workforce going forward. So let's bring Kelly in because Kelly, obviously at Surfro, one of the things that you guys really think about is sanitization, sanitation. So if there's an outbreak in a workplace, what should folks do from a clean cleaning standpoint? Well, yeah, thanks, uh, Don. There, there's a lot of different things um, that can be done. Um, but first and foremost, I think it's important to recognize that there is no one product in particular that has been tested against this virus. Um, there's uh, a lot of cleaning products and procedures and protocols out there for things um, such as norovirus and MRSA and other treatments, bioremediation processes. For this particular strain of coronavirus, nothing um, has been proven. Um, so hospital-grade disinfectants are the most um, common term, uh, most uh, common treatment that uh, people are seeing against the um, 
And it's also really important to note that once an area um, has been treated and sanitized, uh, once you open that back up to individuals coming in and a possible exposure, all of that, you know, uh, goes out the window with possible emanation. So you kind of need a, a peace of mind starting point. Um, but as soon as you introduce people to that area, um, you know, there, there's no guarantees. Um, the biggest recommendation would be to follow CDC guidelines um, on sanita sanitizing um, surfaces. We can get more into that in a little while too. Yeah, yeah, and I think that those CDC guidelines are really important, and and not just for government officials, but looking at them for your business, pulling up CDC.gov and seeing what they have to say. I think can be uh, really helpful, and it's been even just helpful in the reporting process to be like, okay, what is the the national guidance? We're already getting questions, and there's quite a few. If you're on YouTube live and you're watching this live, you can ask. And um, I'm getting a bunch. I'm going to ask one right now because it fits right in. And it goes to Jill. Um, and it's from, uh, from Jacob. And Jacob asks, how does this change the look of medium and large conference rooms? And do you see some furniture challenges? Yeah, so what we've seen in the industry is uh, most likely there will be a shift in making enclosed meeting rooms more open if possible. If they have doors, if it's architectural walls, you can remove the doors, let in um, additional fresh air, um, potentially just removing a number of chairs. So maybe you have a 10 seat room, reducing it to four to maintain distance between the end users. Uh, another option is to, again, depending on how much you want to invest um, and how long-term you want these changes to be, you can remove a single table and replace it with something like a training table, several training tables that can come together when needed um, and sit far apart. So I think uh, there will be a shift, certainly at first, um, with employees needing to meet in more open spaces as well. So these enclosed spaces will probably change for a while and will be limited to the number of users that can use them. So Jill, you guys are going through kind of a reorganization here at Business Interiors of Idaho in your physical space. And uh, can you walk us through kind of what your thinking is? And I'll show those plans that you sent me in advance. That Sure. Yeah. So we took a look at um, a 2D layout of our space. As you said, we are going through a remodel right now that will be complete about the middle of June. Um, and I wanted to see what the distance was between each employee and where we sit. We do have designated spaces um, per, for each end user uh, at this time. And luckily, we do have a six foot distance between each employee when they sit at their own individual desk. So that was the first thing I wanted to check. Um, number two is looking at our social spaces and our meeting rooms and what kind of um, space do, do those occupy and how will we need to use them. And, and basically those spaces will need to have the deeper conversation and a plan put into place. So our more formal conference room, which seats 14 people, how many will we limit to to use that space at any given time? Open lounge spaces, how many people can sit in um, this area, 
Will we do things as simple and short term as marking seats with tape saying you cannot sit here um, to designate space between users? I would consider that a very short, short term um, solution just to keep safety. But uh, then, then you know, every company can go much farther and bring in new products such as mobile marker boards, architectural walls, suspended panels to separate and designate spaces. And you can help guide ease through your space, create new aisleways for people to follow. Um, and there's a lot of products, things as simple as a plexiglass sneeze guard, if you will, that we can provide. Um, and then that will be useful for your company long term. As I mentioned, mobile marker boards are something helpful to device spaces that your company will always be able to use. Um, and then you can go further and put in architectural walls. It depends on the investment and the amount of time you see needing these products. So I think it's a good time. Obviously, you can see all four panelists and, and everybody's at work, including me today. And we actually talked about whether we should be at home or at work. And, and the simple reason we're in offices is the Wi-Fi is better. And, and I think maybe that's kind of an interesting thing, right? So we'll put this out to the panel and anybody can jump in here. If you have an employee who says, I just, I don't, I know the guidelines say this, but I'm not ready to come in. What's some advice that you would give them? And maybe that's a good question for Allison or Tommy. I'm happy to, to take a lead and then I'd be interested to hear what, what Tommy has to say. Um, is that refer always back to the governor's guidance. And right now the, the guidance is if it's feasible from home, you should um, up until that, that June 13th date. So um, my employer is looking at that policy carefully. But the first question you would ask if somebody says, I'm not ready to come back is, can from home and they do their job from home and is it feasible? And if the answer is yes, then they, they should be permitted to do that. And, and you as an employer may be um, outside of the governor's guidance asking people to come back. Um, the second thing to look at it is if you are within the, the area where people cannot feasibly do their job duties at home, is there an accommodation that we can make to this person in the workplace? And if they are in a high risk or vulnerable, um, uh, you have to treat it like an ADA complaint, ADA request for accommodation, and um, ask them what what kind of accommodation they're looking for, what their risk category is, and you may ask for doctor's notes or certification that they fall within one of those categories if it's not readily apparent to you. Um, the the request should be. Um, fulfill if you can as an employer and allow them to perform their job duties. So if that means segregating a separate space or allowing them to work a different schedule, um, staggered scheduling or coming in at off hours, that sort of a thing, or uh, maybe moving them to a floor where they don't have to take the elevator or something like that. Um, those are all things that should be considered. Um, and the third thing is if they really can't be at work, you need to look at your um, leave policies and family leave policies and see if any of that applies. Can they not, do they not want to come back to work because they are experiencing symptoms? Do they not want to come back to work because they have young children at home that they have to take care of? There are federal laws that are mandating certain um, permissible and paid leave in those circumstances. So you need to discuss um, whether any of those apply. So Tommy, what are you doing at BVA? Obviously on the Salter side, you've got you know necessary medical workers, but on the BVA side, what are some of the things you're thinking through for your employees there? 
You're on mute again, sir. <laughs> hey, first of all, I think Allison's response was just fantastic. Um, I would add a little bit more to that, which is there are people that are high risk that work for you that uh, that will always be high risk till there's a vaccine. And I, I do think we need to start thinking about this disease differently than we have because we do know more now than we did a month or two ago. So I think someone in my office that's that's 65 or older, and we have a few of those folks, a couple of them have some comorbidities and some don't, they will be treated differently and allowed to stay home as long as they want to. In fact, we're gonna make accommodations so that they can continue to stay at home because until there's a vaccine, there's not gonna be any way to really uh, uh, secure their safety at work in the same way we would for someone that's young and vibrant and doesn't have any other health problems. It's just different. So I think that that's one thing. Second thing is um, there's a lot of anxiety and fear out there over how much disease there is in our society right now. And, and the answer is there's not very much at all. We've now tested almost 8,000 people and it's about 1.7% of people out there have had COVID-19. So it's a very, very small number. And I wanna make sure that I'm clear today with my message, which is if you go back to an office and you do the things that have been said today, which are very, very thought provoking and it's the right way to do it, um, you're, you're going to be safe. Uh, we've learned a lot about this disease. And right now, if you go to Home Depot, or uh, load like I did twice on Saturday, it is a, it's a, it's a living Petri dish. So for some of the things that we're talking about today is if we create a safe environment, we should get back to work. Uh, because the two parts of this is this, we're not gonna have a vaccine for a long time. We gotta do it in a very safe way, but we also don't need to create the boogeyman here because you can do it in a very, very safe way. I would just add that you need to you need to make those decisions based on employee risk factors, not so, and, and have that be one of your leading decisions you make as a company. So, folks at home watching a little bit of video on uh, Crush the Curve that you guys produced, and tell tell us how many people you've tested and what kind of the results are so far. Yeah, so first of all, uh, there's two kinds of tests, and I think we need to make sure that's clear. COVID-19 PCR test, the nasal swab test. When we started this, there, the, 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 the myth out there was that there's not enough testing. We now have the ability to test 4,000 people a day. That would be 28,000 people a week. That's more than we've tested in all of Idaho so far. So there's plenty of capacity to get a test if you need a test. That's the first one. And that tells you if you have the active virus. Second test that we started is an antibody test for IgG. And that tells you, have you had the virus several weeks ago? And for individuals, that's been very helpful because there's a lot of people that wanted to know for very personal reasons in their life, people that they've been exposed to, do I have the virus? It is not a stamp of immunity. So we're not telling people that are IgG positive, hey, you're okay, now you can go out and not take precautions. But what it does help us do, it helps us navigate the waters of, of, of epidemiology in the state saying how much disease is there and what should we, we be worried about now and next. And there are lots of ways we can use these testing going forward as companies. A lot of companies, we're helping over 300 companies right now get back to work. And many of them are going to do COVID-19 testing to make sure they're not bringing asymptomatic people back into a building first, because we do know about 50% of, of COVID-19 positive patients have any symptoms. And then there is a way to use antibody testing over time to follow what percentage of your, of your, of your people are seroconverting at work. And that's very interesting um, data that would be helpful for companies, especially if you're, if you're a customer facing. For example, in our urgent cares, what is the current IgG positive rate of our nurses and our staff in an urgent care? And over time, 
is that changing? And that could tell you a lot of great information. Are they coming to work asymptomatic but converting serologically to IgG positive without us even knowing? Or are we keeping that number down at 1.5%? Are we doing a good job of keeping people safe and not having them seroconvert at work? So there's a lot of great information out there that could be available to people when they choose to test. And so Crush the Curve Idaho is a nonprofit that is to help us around have access to testing both for PCR and for antibody testing. Um, we're open now in Idaho Falls, testing 500 a day, Pocoro today, 500 a day opening up in Coeur d'Alene uh, next week. And uh, we just want to make it very accessible for everyone to have testing the way they want and they choose to implement that into their companies or into a community. Lots to think about with that. And, and Kelly, I want to bring you in as well. What are some of the things that employees can do in the role that they play in helping make sure that those workplaces are clean? Well, I think the employers and employees both need to be on the same page on this um, process uh, for reopening. Um, make sure they have a plan they've discussed together, post it, share it, use it. Um, you know, there's a lot of heightened um, awareness about this disease and people have many different comfort levels in returning. So um, following those professional guidelines, state and uh, federal CDC guidelines, there's so much information to navigate. Uh, there's, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of misinformation, but if you go to these credible sources um, or, or, you know, companies like any one of ours to help you navigate them, I think it will really help um, put some people's minds at ease on answering these questions. Um, there's, you know, a lot of things um, about the cleaning of the spaces that I just wanted to follow up on from my previous comments was, you know, using a using a, a, a reputable company um, that's versed in things like proper PPE and um, con contamination and containment uh, processes, dwell time. You know, there's a lot of different chemicals that can be applied following those directions to a T is very important. If you use the product and you don't use it correctly, you might as well not at all. Um, following those things, understanding uh, those processes dwell time on, um, on being proactive and cleaning and sanitizing your areas is important. So, yeah, so Jill, you and I were talking yesterday when we were kind of putting this together about the different types of surfaces that can go into office furniture. And I thought this was interesting, the difference between soft surfaces and hard surfaces and explain how that can work and some of the things that people can think about there. Sure, again, it, you know, it's all dependent on level of investment you wanna make, but there are a lot of office products that um, say systems panels have fabric tiles. You can replace those fabric tiles with mud tile, laminate tiles, things that are wipeable, cleanable, um, and they won't uh, disintegrate underneath, you know, harsh cleaners. And if you have high quality commercial task chairs for your employees, typically those task chairs can be ordered in parts. So you can replace seat pans with, again, wipeable, cleanable fabrics versus a woven fabric um, or fabrics that have been previously treated to um, prevent infection. Same with seat backs, you can order uh, wipeable fabric backs to go on a lot of these chairs. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's things that companies can do today is removing unnecessary accessories. 
uh, from office spaces and basically um, decluttering offices and making sure that all the surfaces around you are going to be cleanable. That's really interesting. And, and I think, you know, it's not something that any of us really thought a lot about in our office spaces and in our places of work, just like all of a sudden it's a whole new world, right? And everything that we're doing is different and things that we're considering. We've got some good questions and I want to pitch this one again to kind of the tag team of, of Allison and Tommy. Uh, and Michael asked about thermal scanning techniques. And Tommy, you talked a bit about temperature checks. I know some people are thinking about putting this thermal scanning where they try and determine if people have temperatures. Are there legal issues here? Are there HIPAA issues here? What should people think about if they want to scan for potential uh, people with COVID in their place of business? It's a great question, and I, I think it remains to be seen from a legal perspective how um, the law interprets this and whether it will be an invasion of privacy. Um, I think if, if you are considering using temperature screening, the first thing you need to do is notify employees. Um, as you know, employees can use or employers can use various methods to assess whether somebody should be in the workplace, drug testing, and um, you know, temperature screening, it's just like at your school with your children. When they have a temperature, they need to um, remain out of the school for, for 24 hours when schools are in session. Um, and so I, I think it remains to be seen whether that crosses the line of invading somebody's privacy. But if you want to use it, the, the first thing you need to do is inform your employees that this will be used and this is why we're using it. Uh, again, respect that confidentiality uh, uh, requirement that you don't tell employees who, who may have a temperature. And if, if you see that somebody has a temperature, you need to um, handle it with time, speak to that individual privately. So as you come off of mute here, I think that you've got a lot of office spaces in town. What are you thinking about for scanning if people come in to those places of work? So um, you're going to get like, hat off as Tommy Alquist, the business guy, and I'm going to put my ER hat on. You got to remember, I worked for 18 years in the ER taking care of people with influenza. I, you know, I know people want to do something proactive, but but fever is just one symptom of this. And I worry a ton about what they're doing with this. Um, we've been, you know, you take, a, you, you hear people's opinions on antibody testing and everything else being, you know, giving this false sense of security that it's a stamp of immunity. But I worry a lot about having a temperature screen, screen being the thing that you're putting all your, your, uh, your faith in that someone coming in the door doesn't have COVID-19. That's just false. Um, so I do think that anybody with a fever should not go to work. Absolutely. Do I think it's a super effective screening mechanism with 18 years of experience in the ER taking care of people that are sick? I think it's horrible. Um, so let me give you some examples. If someone uh, takes Tylenol, you won't have a fever. If someone illness and barely have fever, and then these scanning devices of different qualities. So. I just, I just say buyer beware a little bit with that. I do think checking temperatures if someone is sick or has someone ill in their life, that's a very good thing. And I think it is a very effective tool. I would use it in a different way. Uh, again, I've mentioned that we're working with Kinsley Thermometer. They, this is a smart thermometer that doesn't track individuals, but it tracks hot spots in a county. And so that they can quickly, two weeks before, they predicted COVID outbreaks in the United States because they have 
a million thermometers, they can predict where outbreaks are so that they can, can do more testing in those areas. Um, I do think a lot of people are screening. I mean, I'm on the phone all day with these companies and a lot of people are doing temperature screening, but I worry a little bit that you walk through the door because you don't have a fever that day, you're okay. Um, which I think it's it's not the greatest screening device for a COVID-19 infection. But if you have a fever, stay home. So I would prefer to have employees check their temperature if they're worried if they have a fever or even have a policy where you check it every morning before you go in and catch it early. But using it as a screening at a door at an office building, um, I just... I, I think that would give a false sense of security that's not that helpful. So let's talk about masks. And I've got all four of you up here. This is something that I think a lot of people are thinking about. Will asked a question about masks being successful in areas around the world. What do you each think of masks as a requirement in the office setting? I'll go first. We're, we're using them. If, if, you're, if you're in your office, um, However, someone online just said that it doesn't look like Tommy's uh, social distancing in their office. I just yelled at people behind me. If they're out, I'm sorry. They're going to get fired in a minute. Idiots. Oh, right. And so, that, I mean, that's up to a manager, right? That's managers right? to make sure that these things are being followed and that people are thinking about this because it's yeah. easy to forget, right? So our policy is if you're in your office and you're alone or if you're in, you know, if you're within a safe distance, you can have it off. But if you're around other people, you should put it on. I posted Stanford you'll love this. Anything that comes from Stanford, Don loves. Oh, but they, yeah. did a, they did a really cool thing. They, they actually had people just talking and they, they fluoresced the spit coming out of their mouth when they talked. And you ought to look at the video because they do a video with and without a mask. The reason you wear a mask is to protect other people from the, the stuff flying out of your mouth. And I think that it's a very good thing. I think a cloth mask does not create too much uh, problems for people to wear. And if you're gonna be out talking to people, you should have a mask on. And so that's what we've asked our people in, in our office to do is to wear a mask if you're gonna be interacting with people. And if you're in your office, you take it off. I think that's reasonable. I think if you're a business that's a food handling or customer service, they should be wearing masks. It, I, I don't know how they're not wearing masks. Uh, we, I was at Target last night on, on Eagle Road and I, I'll just call it out. There was only like two employees in the whole store that had masks on and I just can't even believe that when you're trying to get customer confidence and then you go to other places that are taking it serious, more like DMB supply and other places you go, they've got protocols, they're following. A lot of this is customer confidence. And I think these essential businesses that have been allowed are just prepared right now because they've been having more business. I mean, Lowe's has had more business than, than they've ever had in their life. But if you're opening your business and trying to create customer confidence, or if you're opening your office, you better have policies and procedures that instill confidence in your employees and your customers. And I think masks do that and they are effective. Allison, are there any you know legal implications to think about with masks and people sort of wearing those or not wearing those in offices and setting up rules and guidelines for, for businesses? Yeah, I, I agree with everything that Tommy said. Um, some of the additional guidance that came out this morning from the governor, um, again, we need to continue to constantly changing. Um, some of the guidance was that all employers need to develop a protocol. It doesn't mandate what your protocol is, but you need to have one and you need to effectively communicate that to your employees and that, that it goes to the, the idea of giving your employees or customers, those that you're interfacing with comfort, that you're a business who's taking measures to protect, um, protect them. Now, you know, would does protect you from a liability? Does it expose you more if you don't require masks? Um, it, it, we haven't seen cases yet where employees are, are making claims their employer negligent um, because they failed to enact, you know, mask 
exploring protocol. Um, but but you certainly, when about things, you certainly should um, be measured, reasonable approaches to protect your employees, and it'll protect you as an employer um, from potential claims. So um, I, I agree with everything that Tommy said. It's it's about the risk and exposure in each circumstance. And you know, Chad, uh, who works here at BII and is a Boise Dev member, makes a really good point. If people have a fever shouldn't come into work even before COVID. And, and I think that's something that's easy to forget. Um, so I wanna talk about culture with the four of you. And, and I know that culture is a big part of the values of, of many businesses. And um, Jill and I talked about this yesterday. How do we have a company culture where we have to stay far apart? We may have some people working at home and some people working in businesses. What does that look like and, and how can managers ensure that our businesses are places that have strong culture in this new environment. Well, I can jump in. Um, with our company, you know, it, it all starts with leadership. If you want a strong culture, it has to be from the top down. Um, and then you have to hire the right people to fit into that culture and harness that culture. And what we've done through this, um, we do have two sides of our company, the showroom staff and our installers who work out of a warehouse um, at a different location. And going back to masks a little bit, you know, the installers have a completely different safety protocol because they can't do their work from a computer at home. So they're following totally different guidelines. And then showroom staff have different guidelines. Um, regarding culture, you know, it, it really depends on what your culture is. If you um, are a really close-knit team, making sure that you get online and, and have virtual meetings that aren't just about work. Um, every Friday, we've been having a cocktail at the end of the day. Um, and we don't talk about work, and that helps bring us together. We've also instituted Monday morning and Friday morning all company meetings where all of our installers are included in that make sure that the two halves don't feel too divided. It's something that we work really hard to make sure we are one team. We're not two separate teams, right? We're working towards the same goal. So I think it's making sure that you get some benefits through a computer, making sure you hear each other's voices and ask, how are you doing? How can I help? How can I help support you? Okay, so Jessica Flynn, who uh, is a good Boise Dev friend, asked a question. This might be an Allison uh, question, but are businesses that welcome the public, like restaurants and stores, going to be required to publicly report if they have an employee diagnosed with COVID in the name of public health? And legally, how would that be handled? I know as a reporter, there's businesses that I have been told have had exposure uh, with the public and they're not very forthcoming so far, but what should people be doing and what should they be thinking about? Yes, you're always given the hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I think that, that number one, we need to follow um, CDC guidance closely and there will, as we continue to open up, um, we will continue to see, see guidance there, the right communication method is. I think that if, um, restaurants have an employee who's been preparing food to go orders or um, serving customers in the restaurants once they're they're open has an employee who has been 
exposed or who has been who has been confirmed to have it, I think the right thing to probably do is to, to notify folks um, who may have been um, in contact with that person, just like you would as an employer. Um, this virus isn't going to go away. We, we know that, and I think it's going. Um, you know, more and more people will be exposed in, in workplace or work environment. Um, so I think we just need to follow the guidance of the CDC and and do what's right for our community, our employees, and our customers to show that we're taking it uh, seriously. I think it could be a PR nightmare to know that you've got um, several employees who who had it and the reporters. You continue to serve. You continue to serve customers as if nothing has happened um, without uh, getting this safeguards and saying that we're taking this seriously and we respect our customers and that's why we're, we're telling you about it. Um, doesn't mean you have it? No. Um, but the right thing to do is to tell you. So there's a lot to think about. And, you know, I thought, Jill, your point was really interesting about the Friday happy hour that you folks are having. Uh, Tommy, Alice, and Kelly, what are go what's going on in your workforce, in your workplaces, virtually and otherwise, to help keep people connected and together? So, Don, I'll tell you, um, sometimes this is proving out, do the values and mission statement on your wall, is, are they words? Are they really what you believe in? And I will tell you, like for our company, over the, over the stay-at-home order, we had a virtual huddle every morning. I look at what was accomplished by our team while we were away. It was probably, it was, it was more than I ever thought possible. Um, we really took the time to dig into making sure processes were in place to take advantage when we came out of this. And I think we're more united and together as a team coming out than we were going in. But I think it took a lot of work. So I think my, my advice to any business owner out there would be take corporate culture seriously, but those words better mean something. And I think someone said this already, it's leadership at the top. If it's if it's not genuine or authentic, people are going to see through that and your company will will flounder during this this crisis. And if it's genuine, you will you will succeed and thrive and come out even better on the outside backside. But it takes time. It takes effort. Um, we've got kind of a culture warrior that works here for me, my chief of staff, and his job 24-7 is, are we paying attention? Are we listening? Are we communicating? Are we effectively bringing everyone along and communicating to all parts of our company? Because we do have, uh, like many of you, we have you know, we have our building engineers that are on the streets and down in the trenches every day. We've got our sales team that's a little different. You've got, you just got different people doing different jobs and anything that you did through this be critical for every company. And, and whatever phase, your at-home phase, the transition back to work, the transition when we start having people sick at work, uh, it's just gonna be very important to have a good communication plan and a culture that transcends words and is actually what you believe in. So Kelly, Allison, how are your teams staying close to each other? Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to jump in. Um, you know, here at ServPro, uh, we're an essential business, we're helping people with emergencies and honestly our business hasn't been uh, our our daily business hasn't changed we're all still here in the office um, you know we, we made that decision early on that with our production staff and our um, office staff we weren't going to differentiate um, from who's at home and who's not we're all one team here very much uh, one team um, mission um, from the top down we have 
changed how we do our daily work. We used to have morning meetings and, and go over daily jobs and production staff and office staff was very much a cohesive, um, you know, one-on-one -on -one meetings, but we can't do that anymore. Um, it's been difficult, you know, to uh, transition into very compartmentalized departments, but we're trying to navigate like some of the, the things you said, you know, trying to have, you know, virtual meetings and, and um, more one-on-one -on -one with uh, departments. Um, than as a, as a large group from before. But, you know, we're still um, very busy, very active um, coming into the office on a daily basis here for us. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know if uh, my owner wants me to mention it, but for a team culture, he's been purchasing lunch for all 40 employees ever since this um, uh, event from a local restaurant here in town. And so that's been a nice treat that every day, you know, he's at least showing appreciation supporting a local business and bringing lunch into our staff. So, you know, that's, that's great. That's great that Christian's doing that. You know, you are an essential business and so people are still at work. Yep. You think that folks are getting it. The social distancing is working and folks are really paying attention. Our days, our days look a lot different. People, people swerve and weave down the hallways. We have a very large building, a very large office here, so we're lucky in that fact that there's only you know 20 or so people on the office, and then 20 or so people in the warehouse, and they stay very separate. Warehouse doesn't come into office. Office doesn't come into warehouse. Whereas before we did, so we're keeping those things um, and those lines uh, differentiated and and keeping the distance that way. Um, and then, of course, we're a cleaning company, so we clean we clean our own offices daily as well. So I think this is where we're going to kind of wrap up, and I want to just end here and, and ask each of you to maybe sum up what you think things are going to be like in offices here in the next few months and weeks. And we'll just go left to right on the screen or on my screen at least, and we'll start with Allison. Yeah, um, I think that what things will be, I didn't get a chance to talk a little bit about our culture, but I think it, it dovetails into what things will be like. Um, we are taking advantage of virtual technology to stay connected um, at an appropriate distance. We have a Facebook page. We do Peloton rides together. We have a book club. We do plenty of happy hours together. I think that's going to continue. Um, and I think that I've heard from several people that they actually feel more connected um, and are speaking to people um, as frequently, not more. I think using that virtual technology is going to be important going forward. Um, and then the, the biggest takeaway that I think that I have is, is when going back to the workplace, we all need to remain flexible and nimble. Policies are gonna change. Uh, the, the general health of our community and our city is going to change and there, there are going to be upticks in this virus. There are going to be new protocols issued. So um, making sure that you are educating yourself uh, as employers, your workforce um, in an appropriate way. Um, they're very clear on where you stand as a company and what your policies are and what you're doing to protect people is, is going to be um, really important and that you remain going forward um, because I think we're going to be at this socially uh, appropriate distance for some time now. We, we know a vaccine's not coming for some time um, and, and we're going to need to um, respect people's comfort levels and risk levels and realize that some people will need to be on public transportation. Maybe you get to drive your car and park in a parking lot but others will be on public 
location to work and how do you, um, you know, how do you approach that and um, making sure that you're having policies as employers that take a look at your full workforce is going to be really important going forward. Boy, and I, I like the word you use there, which is nimble. And I think uh, even as a very small business owner, nimble is something I think about a lot, but it's going to become even more important uh, going forward. Jill, how about you? What do you think some of these things are going to look like as we move along? Um, I agree. I think flexibility is going to be key for a lot of businesses um, moving forward. I think because there isn't a cure and social distancing isn't a cure, it's, it's um, preventative, right? Um, that we companies are going to move forward in a way that works best for their employees. So if they're productive and happy working from home, they're going to do that. We're going to see an influx of people upgrading their home offices. That's going to become much bigger. I think a lot of people never considered having um, a comfortable chair at home, and now they've re reconsidered that, right? Um, and I think yeah, my kitchen table is getting old. After. The wood dining room tables don't work for a long yeah. Um, and I, I think companies are going to um, also look at reorganizing their, their floors if, if it's something that meets their culture and meets the demands of their employees to be productive and successful. Um, and I think moving forward, really just, um, again, maintaining that flexibility and probably instituting new policies that a lot of companies don't have. I know even um, a lot of government agencies are now really allowing people to work from home, encouraging it, and that will probably stick for some time, um, and then letting people that that's working really well for their roles um, and their own selves, them continue to do so. And people who are excited to get back to the office when it's safe to bring our kids back to daycare, I'm, I'm pumped to be back in the office with all of my coworkers, we collaborate. It's, you know, the office is where I'm meant to be. Um, and I think you just have to have those open conversations, really think about your culture what you need to do to be productive and successful and to serve your clients well. Yeah, I think those are all really good points. And, and Tommy, I'll let you go last year. What are you thinking of the of the next phase? What's going to be the new normal? So listen, I, I, I want to make sure I we end on a real positive note. I am very optimistic, cautiously optimistic. I think we can get back to work and do it in a safe way. I think the timing of the year, we're going to the summer months. We, we just know a lot more about this virus and we have testing. We should not go forward pretending like it's the same as it was two months ago. We've got to have a mind shift. We've got to have a new paradigm and attack this thing where we need to attack it, but also get our livelihoods and lives back. Um, I spend a lot of my time with small business owners and they are hurting. And so I, there's, there's, there's a contingency of people that are saying, hey, let's play this super safe. Let's never go back until we get more answers. That is not reality for much of America. Uh, much of America relies on commerce and industry to feed their families and to get through this. And we now have the, you know, look at the data right now. Our hospitals are empty. Our ERs are empty. Our ICUs are empty. We've done a great job flattening this curve. So now let's prepare with testing. Let's prepare with tracing. Let's prepare with all the wonderful things that were said today. I, I really appreciate, Allison, the legal advice today because that's a lot of the questions. One more shameless plug. I've been on the phone every day with the city of Meridian. Their chamber of commerce... Mayor Tammy, their fire chief, and their, their business owners are going to roll out a program in the coming days that should be a model for the rest of the state. They are killing it with having resources available for businesses to go back to work. If you combine those resources and those great guidelines with, with aggressive testing of someone gets sick, there's no way that's safe and let 
commerce and industry start lifting families again because we need that badly. Dr. Alquist, thank you. Allison Johnson with Holland and Hart, thank you. Kelly with Surfro, I appreciate it. And Jill Sol Solgrove, thanks for the time. Um, I think it was a really great discussion and I hope people got some value out of it. And uh, I'll just wrap up here uh, and say thank you for tuning in. Thank you for being a Boise Dev member and supporting our independent journalism mission. Thank you to our sponsors and uh, just really appreciate being able to do this. And we'll be covering a lot of this and staying on top of it. And I'll tell you, if you ever have questions or something you want me to look into, send me an email. It's easy, dawn at boisedev.com. And I always want to cover the story as it evolves here. And uh, it's going to be interesting, I think, for all of us as we go forward. So that's our next in business town hall event with boisedev.com and Business Interiors of Idaho. Thanks for watching. Thank you. Okay, that's good, guys. Your mics are on.